Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Mercy is the mark of a great man. Oh. Oh. Guess I'm just a good man. Oh. Well, I'm all right. You are not Captain Kirk. You do not belong in charge of the Enterprise and I shall do everything in my power against you. You know what the chain of command is? It's a chain I go get and beat you with till you understand who's in command here. Frequently appalled by the low regard you Earthmen have for life. Welcome you all to another exciting episode of SFP now, and this is a really exciting one because it's a um, kind of Thunderbird drunkaded um, in in sort of, sort of way. Because the interview this week is with Jamie Anderson, the uh, son of the late Jerry Anderson, creator of shows such as Thunderbirds, Space 1999, UFO, Fireball XL5, uh, Hawks, which is Jamie's favourite, and um, and Space Precinct. So I'm guessing you remember some of those shows, eh, Pat? Yeah, I do. And um, while I'm talking to Pat, I'll best introduce you to uh, Patrick Hayes, uh, the uh, resident comics reviewer at SciFiPulse.net. And um, he's also uh, one of our news hounds here, here at SciFiPulse as well. So welcome again to the show. Thank you. Um, Pat's been struggling with a cold, so <laughs> um, yeah. we, we hope you don't hear it too bad on the recording. <laughs> I'll do my best, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just blowing my nose in my hand here. I can't afford tissues. <laughs> and now, Last Week in News. Well, let's see. Um, there's a bit of news that came out through Latino reviewing here today um, regarding the new Star Wars films. And that is that the um, apparently they've uh, rebuilt the uh, sets for the Millennium Falcon at Pinewood. <laughs> so we're going to have the Millennium Falcon turn up in the new Star Wars movies. It had to happen, really, because you can't have um, a sequel to uh, Return of the Jedi without the Millennium Falcon. Right. And I give that about 72 hours before somebody breaks into the set and starts taking pictures. Um, yeah, 72 hours. Um, well, you know, so like, um, I think the story broke in here this afternoon. So I, I give it less. I, 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 I'm, <laughs> I've got a feeling it's probably going to turn up. The, the pictures are going to turn up tomorrow. Oh, that'd be great, though. I'd love to see them. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. The, the Millennium Falcon, such an iconic uh, ship. Uh, apparently, they've also rebuilt the uh, spaceport as well at Mos Eisley. Um, that, that's another rumour that's um, that's come up via a different site. So, um, it sounds like we're going to have some scenes on Tatooine, um, which makes me wonder if they're going to if the new Coruscant is going to be on Tatooine. Ooh, that would be interesting. Tatooine's always the go-to planet, it seems, in these movies. So, I'd be for it. I think it's a great setting. 
Yeah, and you, um, you know you can have the Sarnak pit as the um, as the leader of the Rebellites. Yeah, and it starts with uh, Boba Fett getting vomited up, so we all get Boba Fett back finally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and he, he's vomited up um, outside of his armor, um, in which he looks surprisingly like Jeremy Bullock. That's right, and Jeremy is available to do the role, and I'll pay money to watch Jeremy do the role. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, 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 I'd pay about, um, I'd pay about, um, song like a dollar in quarters to watch Jeremy do the well. <laughs> he would, he would be the correct age at this point. He could take the mask off and be just fine. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've actually, I've actually met Jeremy Bunk. He's a really nice guy. Yeah, I have too. He's, a, I've seen him in the States, um, a couple times and he's always been a class act. I'm always impressed yeah. with him. Yeah, I mean, so I can, you know, someone who I'm really sad to, to say is no longer with us, um, was a good friend of Jeremy's and that was would be um, Michael Sheard, um, who was in Empire Strikes Back but died. (laughs) Right. He was killed by Darth Vader, but I think he played played Admiral Ozzel or somebody or other. Right. And um, he was also in... um, He was also an an actor that was pretty much in in every... Not every season, Doctor Who, but basically he got to act with every single Doctor from Hartnell right through to Sylvester McCoy. Uh, his last role was as a, I think, a headmaster in Remembrance of the Daleks. Oh wow! Um, on on Doctor Who, but he, he basically he, he got to act with every single Doctor right up until Sylvester McCoy. Woof. So, but yeah, it's it's kind of sad that um, he's not 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 still with us to see the uh, see see the new Star Wars movies. Yeah, I'm wondering how many actors are going to have previous actors from the films are going to have cameos because I know a couple are already campaigning to get back in. Yeah, I mean Samuel L. Jackson's been campaigning to get back in. I'm kind of hoping they don't let him back in, to be honest. Well, you could you could bring him back. I mean, I know they're bringing back um, um, the Emperor is coming back, and um, the way they're going to do it is he's going to be a, uh, a hologram on a on a Sith holocron. So I, you can bring back any Jedi. I mean, Jackson could come back as a holocron, giving advice to like. Um, Han and Leia's kids, which would make sense. That's he gets a little cameo that way. That 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 probably work. It's just that you know, like um, Mace Windu never really did much for me in the uh, in in the prequel trilogy. But then again, I, I'm not really a big fan of the prequel trilogy. I, I liked him in the prequel. I thought he was okay. He got more action, and he got the best action in the second movie. And he actually had a chance to take out the Emperor, and that's when we knew Anakin had gone over, once he took off uh, Mace's hands. But I, I thought he was okay. He didn't bug me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, what, what kind of bugs me is he's in everything. He's on, like he's uh, the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. He's on, like He was in that uh, really terrible uh, movie adaptation of that um, of, of, of Wing Eisner's uh, The Spirit. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, he, he just saw like... Um, uh, it kind of bugs me that he's in everything. I mean, they're also talking about bringing uh, bringing you McGregor back. Right, same thing. Sith holocron. I mean, uh, um, Jedi holocron. I could see it happening, and it fit. It worked for me. It, it worked for me, but the other the other nasty little rumor regarding him coming back is that they're, they're going to bring him back as a. They're talking about bringing him back as a Force Ghost, continuing him as a Force Ghost, like uh, like Angus Guinness used to do. But there's also talk of them actually switching out the Angus Angus Guinness bits with Ewan McGregor in the uh, in, in, in the original Star Wars movies. Oh, that'd be a bad idea. That'd be a bad idea. Yeah. But that, that's something I that's something I heard in the grapevine and, uh, and I just just don't wanna don't wanna see that happen. But anyway, Millennium Falcon set rebuilt. 
at Pinewood. Yeah, I'm all for it. Can't wait to see Harrison Ford walking around in that. Yeah, you know, so like, um, I mean, you know, the, the, thing, the thing is, um, we've got to have Bingy D. Williams back as Nando, I think. You know what? Nobody's brought that up, and I would be really keen for that. He was really an underused character, I thought, in the two movies he was in, and I'd love to see Lando Calrissian in the future. That'd be great. But yeah, I'd, I'd like to see him do, because I, I kind of like Nando, and uh, I, I kind of like the... Uh, we never really got to see Han and Nando working together. Yeah, there's always been stories and comic books and uh, novels about it, but yeah, that'd be great. In fact, I would love to see Lando married, maybe have a kid, because we know his kids wouldn't be like the pure Jedi yeah. with uh, Han and Leia's kids. So it'd be great to see Lando's kids with Han and Leia's kids getting into trouble. I'd be for that. That'd be pretty cool. I mean, you, could, you know, you, you could have Nando as a father and you could have a kid called Takeoff. Oh, Nah, sorry, that was a really bad joke. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> really bad. You know, ju- just as bad as my uh, attempting to play Star Wars earlier on on guitar, but we didn't record that, thankfully. So. <laughs> <laughs> Although I could play Doctor Who pretty good. Yes, you can. <laughs> um, but m- moving on, another um, bit of news is there's um, actually a spin-off series in the works for Walking Dead. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm for it. Zombies are in right now, and the more the better. I'm all for it. Yeah, z- zombies are definitely in. Um, you know, if if you count the amount of people voting uh, conservative here in the UK. Yeah, and America's zombie crazy still. So yeah. there's zombie walks going all the time for charity and for just. We don't do pub crawls, but they do zombie crawls in this country where they go from bar to bar dressed as zombies. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting um, because we've got some quotes here from the people involved. Uh, building on the success of the most popular show on television for adults 18 to 49 is literally a no-brainer, said AMC president uh, Charlie Collier in a statement. Uh, we look forward to working with Robert, Gail and Dave again as we develop an entirely new story and cast of characters it's a big world, and we can't wait to give fans another unforgettable view of the zombie apocalypse. Uh, Robert Kurtman added, After ten years of writing the comic book series, and being so close to the debut of our fourth, and in my opinion, best season of the TV series, I couldn't be more thrilled about getting the chance to create a new corner of the Walking Dead universe. The opportunity to make a show that isn't, that isn't tethered by the events of the comic book and is truly a blank page has set my creativity racing. So there we go. And Walking Dead returns on October 13th, yep. which isn't a Friday. Yeah. You know, they, they, they missed an opportunity. They, they should have moved Friday the 13th from September to October. <laughs> you know? Um, but that, that's um, that's another, another interesting thing. I mean, I don't actually watch Walking Dead, so... Oh, I love... It's interesting. I watched the TV series, but I, I came in too late to the comic, and I'm too cheap to go back and pick up the novels. But um, I watched the TV series religiously. I watched... And- Love it. I, I watched the first season of the TV series, which was great, and then I got about halfway through the second and gave up on it because it just seemed to be seemed to be plodding along too slowly. My right, they were they were stuck season. on that farm for a while. That's everybody's big complaint about that season. But you know, so like, um, I, I was going to try and get back into it as the third season came on because I was quite interested in in the whole thing with the prison sort of thing. But yeah, I just didn't get around to it. Right, I'm kind of interested in this new series because it seems like to me the way AMC works is that even though uh, The Walking Dead is like their obvious number one series, I mean, it breaks ratings all the time, 
I'm wondering if they're looking at maybe ending this thing after the fifth season and then putting all their money into the new season because they can keep all the behind the scenes people, but then you can let all the actors go about the time they start asking for big pay raises. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a that sounds like a pretty good plan because they've got you know they've got Andrew Lincoln there who's on like um, who, who to be honest, admitting he was hardly a big star, he was hardly a big name in terms of a uh, in terms of sort of like a uh, British stuff when when he got the role in Walking Dead, but he had been in a lot of good stuff and was known but he's probably more known now for walking dead than, than he than, than he is for anything else he did he, he, he did right and it's it's always a surprise to so many people when he starts to speak without his american acting accent and people are like you're you're not american mm-hmm. yeah well so like um he, he's so like one of the few guys that have actually got the american accent down more or less oh he's he's got it great every everybody in that cast is great but I'm wondering if they're they're really looking at okay, let's wrap this thing by season five and then kick it on to the new cast. Mm-hmm. That that could be a possible possible thing, or they could do they could do season four and um, have some some event that happens in season four that acts as a backdoor pilot for the uh, new show. Right, run into these new cast of characters and then they go their separate ways. Yep, or the new it, cast of characters just sort of like uh, pull out shotguns at the end of season four and shoot all the old cast and. <laughs> Robert Kirkman had better run fast if he's going to do that. <laughs> well, I was just sort of like thinking in in regards to what what would Robert Rodriguez do? <laughs> if you yeah. it, and that'd be yeah. it. There'd be a Mexican standoff between the two different casts at the end. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I could just see I could just see Cheech Marin as part of the Walking Dead. Um, although I'd be for that. Or Danny Trejo. Get Danny Trejo in the Walking Dead. I'm all for that. I was just going to say that Danny Trejo would step forward and uh, oh yeah, you know you'd, you'd sort of like. Uh, Pung out his shotgun. He goes, yeah. "I'm Shetty." Fuck <laughs> <laughs> hold them all to hell. Um, you know, I'm all I'm all for um, Jessica Alba in Walking Dead as well. Yeah, <laughs> I I'd see just about anything with Jessica Alba in it, mm-hmm. except the Fantastic Four movie again. Yeah, well, you know, let's face it, in Fantastic Four movie, you didn't see much of her. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Boom, boom. Thank you. Mm, that 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 was a that was a bit of irony for you there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I I often I often think um, it was a, it was a, just a wasted of opportunity what happened with Dark Angel when they cancelled it. Yeah, because it was actually getting interesting. It got a bit singy in the second season, but it started to get interesting again. Right, that seems to be Fox's pattern. They have a show and then drop it right as it starts to be going somewhere. It did the same thing with Dollhouse. Well, the thing is, what happened is it was actually a pretty good hit for them when they aired it on Wednesdays, and then yeah. they moved it to Fridays on the second season. And I remember at the time, because I was reporting on it on the site, and it, it actually got picked up for a third season um, at the 11th hour, but then a matter of hours later, it was dropped for another show that 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 was that being in development, and that other show turned out to be Joss Whedon's Firefly. Oh right, you know. So um, you got Firefly to blame for no third season of Dark Angel, buddy. Right. Look how long Firefly lasted. Yeah, but you know, arguably Firefly was actually better than Dark Angel. Yeah, Fox is notorious for slitting their throat on series that have a lot of potential. But I don't think they've been been as bad in recent years, and they've made an effort to keep keep things going for a while, like they did with Terminator. Uh, yeah, they gave that a lot longer than I thought they would, that's true. And also, I think they did the same with Dole's House as well, they gave that longer. Yeah, and at least they gave it a final episode to wrap things up. 
Um, other news, um, Pete Davidson has confirmed that he'll be involved with 50th anniversary Doctor Who celebrations, um, as if there was any doubt about that. Yeah. Uh, they're all going to be involved, but, you know, basically what he said, um, he said that um, he, he's not commented on whether or not he'll be involved with the uh, 75 minute special, The Day of the Doctor. I don't think he will be, because if he was, we'd know by now, because it's like uh, they've already filmed it. Right. You know, and some, some, some in Surprising dude with a camera would have got a would have got a, got a photograph of him with David Tennant and, and Matt Smith. So I don't oh, yeah. think he's going to be in that. I think he's going to be in one. You know, some of the supplementary documentaries. I think that's about it. But basically, right. basically he's, um, he said, I can't reveal anything specific about it. I'm not allowed to. It is a big year for the show, and we are all doing our bit for it. Trust me. Uh, Davison was also somewhat controversial um, in saying that he feels that there will be a point where Doctor Who will end because people will get fed up of it. And this is what mm, this is what he says. This is what he says. Uh, there will get to a point where people get a bit bit tired of Doctor Who. I don't know. Maybe it will need a little rest. I'd love to see it carry on, but you can never tell. That, that's basically quoting exactly what he said. So you know. And, you know, it wasn't like people got fed up of it the last time. It was just right. like one one man got fed up of it the last time, Sir Michael Grade, and moved it around the schedules and then killed it by putting it up against Coronation Street right. in the final year. Um, but that said, the, the ratings weren't, weren't stellar from even before Michael Grade came on the scene, and writing wasn't exactly stellar. Um, right. He comments on Peter Capaldi's casting, and he like playfully jokes. I grew up with I grew up with mature doctors, so I think it's an excellent choice. <laughs> you know? So you know, everyone's positive about Peter Capaldi. E- even I am. I'm not sure what you make of Peter Capaldi. Did we have this conversation? Um, no, I don't think we did. But I think it's I think it's a great choice. Did you see the YouTube video of the uh, of, of the of the fifteen year old girl? No. Oh, there's this YouTube video on YouTube somewhere. It's fifteen year old girl. She's watching the announcement. Right, and basically, it's filmed her reaction watching the announcement of Peter Capaldi. And um, Zoe Ball announces Peter Capaldi, and he walks up to the stage. And this 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 fifteen year old, I think she's about fourteen. She goes. <laughs> <laughs> I, thought, I, I thought, yes! Yeah. Uh, because basically, uh, the, the one complaint that a lot of people have had is the, the last few Doctors, you know, specifically Tennant and uh, Matt Smith, have been eye, eye candy for the teeny bopper girls. Yes. You know, and I don't, not to take anything away from the actors, because both actors did a superb job of playing the role, um, it's, it, you know, they, they, I just think there's more weight with an older actor in the role. Yeah. I have a uh, close friend at work who's a big-time Doctor Who fan. Matter of fact, she was practically stalking David Tennant when he came to the San Diego Comic Convention for the first time and bumped into him on the streets of San Diego to get a picture taken with him. And as soon as she saw Peter Capaldi, she was like, nope, I'm done. And I'm like, that's the way the Doctor has been. It's always been an older guy. And she said, that's not why I watch it. And I go, well, you're you're in it for the man meat. You're not in it for the stories. You're in it for the hot doctor. And I think it's great, and I'm hoping that the doctor gets a um, uh, a male companion would be nice. Yeah, I mean, so, like, um, did, you know, there's no harm in him having another female and male companion, because he had that with uh, Amy Pond and, yeah. and the other and one. Yeah, and Rory for a while. But I'm thinking, to me, like, the last 
great classic male companion, now, no slight to any of the other people because of the writing, was uh, Jamie, the Highlander. Bring in, mm-hmm. bring in a, a, a companion from the past. I'm tired of the present-day companions. Yeah, you know, and did they did that quite a lot in the early series? It was sort of like he was, you know, it was basically once we got into the seventies, we started having present day companions. And yeah, once we hit about Sarah Jane, they all became present day. Yeah, it kind, of, kind, of, it kind of got stuck in present day. So yeah, it'd be fun to bring, you know, have another, you know, have another companion taken out of time. Yeah, just for just for a season. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, I'd like to see another character like Zoe. Oh, yeah. You know, because she, she was just as smart as a Doctor. Right, and she could solve things um, sometimes faster than he could. I'd, I'd be completely for a, a companion from the future. That'd be great. You know, and, and the other thing about Zoe is she wasn't infatuated with the Doctor either. She saw, like, she was kind of looking after him. Right, You know. yeah. I'm, I'm done with tired, wimpy, tired Doctor with the, the longing eyes and the sad music. Just give me some fun stories for a change. Mm. Oh, my guitar teacher can actually play that sad music. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, so like, cause, um, I, okay, I went into, went into my lesson, uh, you know, this morning, this, this afternoon, and just as I was walking into the door, he starts playing Doctor Who theme, and then he sort of like goes into a re- reprise of the sad David Tennant music. Oh, jeez. And I just turned, I just turned and looked at him and says, somebody shoot me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's about where I am. I'm I'm done with wimpy crying, Doctor. Yeah, I mean, I actually like that piece of music, though. The uh, you know the sad music. It's a it's a cracking piece of music. But you know, sort of like um, we, we it's like you say we've had it over and over again on Dot Two. Yeah, it's it's a dead horse and it's been beaten. Move on. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see them bring the Time Lords back somehow. That would be great. Well, they're hinting again. I mean, if you've got the Daleks popping up all the time and they were supposedly wiped out in the Time War, you can bring the Time Lords back quite easily. Mm-hmm. And and uh, every bugger else has come back. I mean, we've got the uh, Zygons coming back in the um, anniversary special. Right. Uh, along with Daleks and Cybermen. Um, so, yeah, we can have the Time Lords back. I mean, bring the meddling monk back. <laughs> You know, because the Meddling Monk, you know, sort of like, um, well, we've seen him in that episode of Meddling Monk, but I think he was also in one of the uh, big Dargic episodes with uh, Troughton. Right, yeah. Um, but I'm not, sure what ha- I'm not sure what happened to him, because I've not actually seen those big Dargic episodes, you know, you know, because they're only available on audio. Right. Um, but I think they should bring the Meddling Monk back. That'd be a great way to bring back the, the Time Lords. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, may, 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 maybe, uh, maybe somewhere along the line, the Meddling Monk got it on with the Doctor's daughter <laughs> oh my gosh you know or the doctor's daughter and meddling monk met up and um, somehow um brought about the uh, the new time lords oh there you go that actually i'd go with that yeah well you know that's that, that's just spitballing so have you got any notes any news um i was surprised to read that luke basson wants to do a fifth element sequel did you see that um no i've not seen that yet um he he just put out that he would like to do another story based in the same universe but with different characters he said i told the story with the bruce willis character and with um um Lula did that story, but he goes, I really like that environment, and I wouldn't mind doing another movie set in the same place. And I thought, I'm for it. That'd be great. That movie looked incredible. It felt real. I say, give him some money and do it. Yeah, I mean, I'd go for that. I mean, I'm still yet to be able to watch Fifth Element all the way through uninterrupted. (laughs) It's a, it's a long movie, but it's a great movie. Yeah, I've never been able to watch it uninterrupted, you know. So um, that that's a that's a challenge for 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 the, for the weekend, I think. Try and watch it <laughs> pre uninterrupted. 
Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd be for that. But I'm glad that I'm not getting Bruce Willis back because he's turned into a bit of a grumpy old bastard. Yeah, we don't we don't need him. That that story's been told with that character. We're done. But something else with those same type of characters, you could have Ian Holm show up as the priest again. That'd be great. Yeah, you know, you could you could have David Tennant running around in there, <laughs> or or Matt Smith. He needs a job. <laughs> Dave, you know, you, we could have David Tennant playing playing a villain. I'm in for it. You can do it. I don't think you guys have actually seen David Tennant play proper villain. I think the only villain we've seen him play was in Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, uh, he, he, he can play a bad and much, much better and much more sinister than that. Yeah. <laughs> and um, there's, certain, there's certain British production that he was in, um, you know, sort of TV series um, where he played a bad and he played a proper bad Oh, cool. Um, and I can't remember the name of the TV series, but... It was it was one of the things that he did with David Morrissey prior to Doctor Who. Oh wow! So because you know him and David Morrissey, they they, they kind of worked a lot together. Right, I did know that. So um, there's, there's that, you know, yeah. Uh, um, another movie in the Fifth Element universe would would be quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, I'd be for that. And then uh, what was the other thing? Oh, the Harry Potter movie spinoff. Yeah, that 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 was a Monday. Uh, that's a new deal that um, that that J.K. Rowling has signed right with Warner Brothers. Yeah. And I think it's TV series, right? Um, it, it doesn't sound like they have an idea on what they do. They know they want to do more. They just don't know the format. I know it's supposed to be based on um, one of the fictional books that's in the universe, which is um, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. So it's kind of like the guy who writes the monster manual, his encounter with the monsters and writing them up for uh, textbooks and whatnot. Ah, so it's kind of like uh, Bilbo Baggins there and back again. Right, with with triple the monsters, I have a feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, and you could do, you you can't, ha- you don't need to have any of the original um, Harry Potter characters, but you could definitely allude to like family lines or whatnot who are around at that time period. So it, mm-hmm. it'd be interesting. I know when my daughter heard that, she practically did a backflip. She's such a Harry Potter fan. Okay, well, he's a, uh... Um, bit of a, um, I'm looking at some stuff here, and apparently HBO has ordered a lost creator, lost co-creator Damon Lindelof's uh, the leftovers. What's that? Um, I've no idea. I'm just, I'm, I'm just checking my inbox now. Where Aisa sent me about six, seven news stories, and I've already updated for tomorrow. Oh, leftovers! I think that's the one where. Um Oh, whatchamacallit, the, the pure have ascended into heaven, the rapture has happened, mm-hmm. and the leftovers are the people left behind. Yeah, it sounds a little bit, um, so- sounds kind of similar to Riverworld in that sense. Right, except it's it's in, a, it's in a city, it's not set on the river or anything, any place exotic. It's in the real world, what do people do who are left behind? Oh, wow, the, ca- the cast is impressive. The drama's going to star Liv Tyler, I'm definitely in if Liv Tyler's in it. Yeah. Uh, Justin Theroux, uh, Christopher Eccleston, Amy Brenneman, uh, Emma Mead, Michael Gaston, Chris Zilka, um, Amanda Warren, Anne Dowd, uh, Patterson Joseph, yes, Brad Neeland, uh, Mats, and Charlie Carver. Oh, wow. So it's got a damn good cast behind it. Yeah, that's some pretty big names in that. Um, and uh, the, the article that I'm looking at right here, it's got a rather geek-looking picture of Damon Lindelof. <laughs> um, Walking Dead has cast a key character. This is another, another one that she sent. Um, there's a lot of viral first look stuff that she sent. Um, right. Uh, Doctor Who and Harry Potter. Um, oh, it's another you know, casting for Penny Dreadful. Uh, let's see. Walking Dead key character. Um, this is from the Hollywood Reporter Live Feed. And apparently uh, Christian Cerritos will play Rosita and recur in the fourth season 
of the AMC zombie drama. Um, Chris Christian Sarital. So yeah, she's she's rather a hot looking young woman there. Can't have enough of those in your zombie movies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm talking like. Apparently, uh, she she was in the Twilight movies. Um, oh. She's booked a recurring role on the zombie drama's upcoming fourth season, um, according to Hollywood Reporter. She will recur as Rosita Espinosa uh, on the adaptation of Robert Kirkman's long-running series, with an option to be promoted to series regular for season five. Oh. The character first surfaced in the 53rd issue of the series, when Rosita Abraham and Eugene were heading to Washington, DC and cross paths with Rick and company at Harrisville's farm. In the comics, she has romantic ties to Abraham and later Eugene. After more than ten, after more than 110 issues, her character is still alive. Oh wow! Um, so it becomes the, the, the latest comic character to board the zombie drama under new showrunner Scott M. Gimple. Um, in April, the the Wire alum uh, Larry Gingard Jr. But to series regular role as Bob uh, as Bob Stuckey, uh, a former army medic haunted by his past. In the comics, the character was a was a Woodbury resident and ultimately was responsible for saving the governor's life after he was tortured by Mikone. Oh, but there we go. Um, I won't read any more of that because that's I think that's given us enough uh, background. Yeah, but yeah. Like, um, so, sounds intriguing. You you know the Walking Dead universe better than me, so right. Well, the, I don't know the comic book i know the tv series and um i was impressed that the uh the governor survived the last season because i know in the comics he died pretty violently and um he got away scott clean at the end of the last episode so okay. well that's um i think that's the last bit of a uh, bit of news i've got there was about six other stories there but they're all sort of like arrow related and <laughs> i think i think some of the arrow stuff is just sort of like posters and stuff like that which i probably won't be posting right <laughs> because when you're posting posters and stuff like that it's just basically um you know, it's kind of boring to write about. Oh, look at this new poster of a buff man with his uh, with with his chest out and stuff like that. Here's one for the girls. <laughs> <laughs> it's like one of those. Uh, but the 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 been releasing a lot of new posters for Arrow. Yeah. Um, you know, they've released one of uh, Manu Bennett. And, um, oh, that's another bit of news. Um, apparently, uh, Spartacus is coming back in October on um, on Stars. Yeah, that really surprised me. But it's it's basically reruns. But what they've done is they've they've actually um, extended some of the episodes and put you know put put additional footage in. Yeah, that show's evidently making a ton of money for stars. That's the only reason why they do that. And um, that's another show where I'm sure they're going. Whoops, we shouldn't have done that so soon. It's a fantastic show. Um, you know, so like I um, I've seen it all now. Really enjoyed it. Even you know, even once I got rid of reducing August's character and um, all, all the characters. Uh, left over from the first series, you know, right. it still carried on as strong as ever because you then got into got into the conflict of leadership between between Spartacus and Crixus and yeah. and the other gladiator. You know, you kind of got you know into the politics of the of the rebellion a bit more. But it was a it was a fantastic show. I mean, obviously, yeah, very violent, very bloody, and uh, lots of sets. Uh, right. 
uh, which yeah, it, uh, it's nice, but the actual storylines and you know the the, the 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 vindictiveness of the different characters and you know the people. Yeah, yeah. It's just so well written. You know, once you got past all the sets and violence, it was just a fantastically well written series. Oh yeah, I mean, I saw I saw the first two seasons when I had uh, the Stars Channel, and um, it was great. I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was quite tragic that we lost the uh, lost the lead actor. But yeah, when when Liam McIntyre took it over, he made it his own, and um, and he did a know, good job from what I saw. He did he did a, he did a great job really under the circumstances. Uh, I mean, I I couldn't forget what. Um, what 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 the original guy did, uh, Andy Whitfield did. Um, but that said, uh, McIntyre came in. I think I think he pulled it off. In, yeah. In, in as far as he, he as he could, and he he didn't try to do an Andy Whitfield impersonation, which is something you should get. You know, you really need to give him a lot, give him a lot of credit for. Right. Because a lot of lesser actors would have gone for doing the straight impersonation of Andy Whitfield. Right, or they would have been forced into it by the producers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that said, it's also credit to the producers of, uh, of Spartacus as well that they, that, they, that they didn't go that direction. Yeah, oh um, yeah. And they did the same with Navia as well, you know, she was replaced as well. Right. And, um, you know, and, and um, the, the actress that played Navia, that took over as Navia in, uh, in Spartacus, she's actually going to be an arrow. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I saw. Um, there's not a crossover from Spartacus to Arrow, seemingly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, that, that that's about it for the um, for the news. We've got we've got the interview coming up now with uh, Jamie Anderson, and um, you know, very quickly we'll get back to that conversation at the beginning of the show. Um, do you remember any of the shows? Yeah. Oh, I certainly I remember watching Thunderbirds, and I think Supercar was another one. Yeah, Supercar was another one. Um, Fireball at Cell Five. Oh yeah. Um, Space Precinct, where all the aliens had an Irish accent. Yes, I remember that. I'm quite fond of that show. It only ran for a season, but it's, you know, as it ended, it was starting to get really interesting. Right, which is the way things usually happen, sadly. Um, Space 1999, of course, I remember that one. Oh, yeah. Um, UFO, I don't really remember much about that one, but I've got to tell, I've got to tell you, the, uh, the women in that show in the purple wigs and the miniskirts, damn! Yeah. Yeah, you know, I just wish it was the seventies again. If that, if that was the way women dressed back then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, so like, um, I, I unfortunately don't remember UFO. Um, but Thunderbirds, Fireball at Cell Five, which repeated a lot. Captain Scarlet. Oh yeah, Captain Scarlet. You know. But this uh, this interview with uh, Jamie Anderson, it's. Um, it's about Kickstarter campaign he started, and what it's about is um, he's he's working on he's, he's working on novel series on getting novel series out there called Gemini Force One or GF One, and basically what it is is um, they they want to sort like self publish through Kickstarter uh, this series of novels that Jerry Anderson started writing back in two thousand and eight and never got to finish. And that, that's basically what it's about. And um, if they can make their stretch goals, um, they're hoping to maybe get a TV series out of it as well. Oh, wow. Um, but, you know, if you, you want to sort of do a quick Google search on it and look it up, uh, just type in Gemini Force One in Google, and it's one of the first things that comes up. And um, you get get a nice little video of uh, Jamie talking about it and telling you what it's all about. And there's loads of videos and stuff there on on, on the site as well. You know, so it's it's well worth a look. Um, anyway, without further ado, we'll just uh, move right on to the interview. Five, four, three, two, 
one. Thunderbirds are go. to welcome uh, Jamie Anderson to the show this week. Um, Jamie Anderson, for those that don't know, is the uh, son of the uh, late Jerry Anderson, who created some of the most much-loved science fiction television shows um, of the UK with Thunderbirds, Space 1999, Joe 90, UFO, uh, Terror Hawks and countless others. So, hi Jamie, welcome to the show. Hi Ian, I love it when people give that intro because it just means I've got such big boots to fill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm sort of pinching myself that I mentioned Terrorhawks. What, because you hate it or because you love it? I was I was kind of like in the middle on Terrorhawks. My favourite was uh, my favourite was actually Stingray. Okay, that's a good choice. I'm surprised you're in the middle on Terrorhawks though, because most people it's kind of a bit marmitey. Uh, with most on the hate camp, I would say, but I love it. So, <laughs> well, uh, I think I was probably just about the right age when it came on, uh, as you know, still still young enough to appreciate. I think it came on in round about 1981, so still about eleven. At that time, so still of an age where I could probably appreciate it, but yeah, um, had been spoiled up until that point with you know, with reruns of Stingray and Thunderbirds and uh, even Fireball itself. Five, yeah, um, you know your, your your late father's shows just reminded me of the summer holidays because they'd be on um, they'd be on every morning during the summer holidays. <laughs> And, you know, just so good times. Though. Yeah, great times. Um, anyway, I thought about. I, I wanted to open with a question. I'm just wondering. Um, you know, as you were growing up, were you actually aware that your father was so well known for for for, for these shows that he, that he produced? Uh, it, embarrassingly, it took a rather long time to sink in. Um, I had a few Thunderbirds videos when I was a kiddie. Uh, I guess when I was about three or four, I started watching them. And when I was probably, I guess, around that age, maybe up to five, mum had said to me, you know, your father made those. And to me, someone making a video means they recorded it off the telly. Mm -hmm. Uh, And probably for another couple of years, I thought that was the case. And then we got to the uh, Thunderbirds revival in the early 90s. And suddenly it hit me that uh, actually these TV shows don't just turn up on the telly. Someone makes them. And in this case, this one was made by my dad. Um, which was a bit of a shock at the time, but for the for the first few weeks while Thunderbirds was enjoying that 90s rerun, uh, it was fantastic because all my friends and their parents were really excited to find out about the connection. Um, but then they, uh, they also started doing the Mickey Tate puppet walks and that kind of thing, so it wasn't all uh, the roses. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I still do the Mickey Tate puppet walk. In actual fact, um, I was in... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was in Tenerife one year, and uh, they they had a, a, a singer uh, there um, in in this bar. And uh, every night, as part of his skit, um, he'd do the um, the, the song "Oh Parker." Oh you know, that God! One. <laughs> uh, anyway, Sorry, I wasn't complaining about your singing voice here. I just I just remembering the song. Anyway, one one night, um, I was sufficiently drunk. Um, I had actually got up and sang a few with him as well because I'm, I'm not a bad singer. But one night, I got up in drag and did the Lady Penelope part. 
Wow. <laughs> I think you should have told me this before we started this interview, to be quite honest. <laughs> but you know that 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 was a that that was that was the, the the only time I ever got up got up in drag, and it was a it was very it was very very poorly done. So, <laughs> uh-huh. but at least it was just to play a very uh, respectable character. Oh, oh, absolutely. I mean, I I think I'd rather prefer to have you know done Parker's part. <laughs> <laughs> There's still time, Ian. Still That's time. I'm sure you can find some situation to do it in. <laughs> uh, you got to work with your dad um, on, on both Space Precincts and uh, Lavender Castle, which is one that I've not seen. Mm. Uh, what, if anything, did you did you learn from those experiences? And, and could you see yourself carrying on as a producer in the industry? Uh, well, Space Precinct was just brilliant fun. Um, I was about 10 uh, or nine or ten years old when it was going on and it was just a total dream to be hanging around in the model shops or on the sets every day uh, and I was really lucky to be sat between Christine Glanville who was the puppeteer and model maker on everything from super early on you know tw- twizzle and torchy days uh, and she was a lovely lady and just so incredibly talented on the other side of me on the same bench I had Richard Gregory another incredible model maker and thoroughly nice chap and they looked after me so well I had so much fun making things sculpting painting building weapons all sorts of great stuff uh so that was pretty amazing um I guess I I never really appreciated until I was there the scale uh, of a a production like that and just how many people are involved and uh, I could never quite understand why they needed so many people and be working in different places and different sites and different studios but uh, yeah it was a pretty amazing time and then Lavender Castle it wasn't there wasn't so much time spent doing that because it was made up at Cosgrove Hall in Manchester cool. um, but the time I did spend there was great and it Again, you know, it was great because I got the time on Precinct seeing something live action being made, and then Lavender Castle was stop motion. And throughout that entire period, so I guess four or five years, I was saying to Dad, I want to do this. I want to do what you do. This is amazing. Uh, And his response to that was, no, you don't. It's all horrible. It's lots of hard work. The people are terrible, and you're never going to, I'm never going to allow you to work in this industry, so forget it right now. Um, Which was a bit upsetting at the time but I know I know he had my best intentions at heart when he said it yeah I mean I um you know I, rem- I remember Space Precinct I think that was around about the year in the 1990s yeah it was 94 95 um, Precinct yeah so, so I, I used to uh, I used to make a day every Saturday to watch that one because um, I, I kind of enjoyed it kind of enjoyed it well, you know, I was a big Star Trek fan at the time. Right, okay. And, you know, I, I, you know, and the, you know, there was something like, um, so I was always torn, but I, I, I kind of enjoyed the fact that the Ardianians had Irish accents. I thought that was quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was an interesting choice, wasn't it? But I like that. I, I mean, I really like the aliens on that. The, the full uh, animatronic masks were just so cool. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, there was a chap on there called Richard James who played uh, Officer Orin. Uh, and I couldn't understand why off stage this Orin guy had a different voice to when he was on stage. Because not not because I was so convinced that they were real, but I don't know it, because it, it didn't feel like it was an actor inside a mask. It felt like it was just uh, the person. Um, yeah, they were just cool. I had a great time on that. Yeah, I mean, Ingol Nike was a lot of fun to make because I, I, you know, I do do remember a lot of the uh, a lot of the, a lot of the uh, cast being interviewed uh, around about the nineties. I think I had the uh, 
Is it Ted Shackle, Shackleton or Shackle? Shackleford, yeah, Shackleford Ted Shackleford. From Knott's Landing, man. From Knott's Landing. Uh, yeah, is, that's it. You know, um, my sister watched it. I, I sort of used to kind of avoid it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Very sensible. Um, you know, I, I I remember he was in it, and um, and yeah, the uh, the aliens with Irish accents, which sounding like they'd sort of like gone to the Ian Paisley school of of, of accents. <laughs> Yeah, there were some interesting accent choices, but I, I just, I, I'm, it makes me sad that that show didn't do better because it had so much potential and it was just sort of on the cusp of being really great, but just, it just missed the target in a few areas and pff, makes me sad. I, I would have loved to have seen another season of that, you know, maybe another two seasons because it, yeah. it did feel like it, you know, as as it got towards the end of its run, it was beginning to really find its feet. Yeah, absolutely. When it, when it once it hit the two parters, like the fire within towards the end, it it really had hit its stride, and I really think it was kind of it was getting somewhere. But by that time, it was already a bit too late, I think, because. Uh, I guess the damage had been done with the early ones. Mm. Well, you know, so like, is it is it on DVD now? Or? Uh, yeah, it is. It's on in, on DVD, but it's only a, a region two one. I, I don't think. In fact, no, there is a there's a full box set, a uh, region one NTSC one, but uh, the the UK the European versions are all split up by episodes, and there's no nice tidy box set, which is a real shame. Mm. I have to look for some of those on eBay. I think. Yeah, I do they're worth they're worth watching again? I want to watch some now. Yeah, I, I would if I had them. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I noticed uh, from 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 you know the information on IMDb that you also were a Doctor Who fan. You was actually involved in the uh, Doctor <laughs> Who thirty years in the TARDIS documentary. Yes, I know. <laughs> Which I I, I, um, I haven't seen that in about twenty years. I don't think. <laughs> um, well, it's it's on that on the Shadow uh, box set, the DVD box set, the Legacy box set. Mm-hmm. So um, you can watch it all over again if you really want. Cool. Well, I was just going to sort of very quickly ask what your impressions uh, were of the uh, new series that's been on for the past uh, was it seven years now, and uh, yeah. the casting of Peter Capaldi. Yeah. Oh well, Capaldi. I'm so happy about because when they did the reveal and he came on and he did his Hartnell lapel tap, I was sold. That was it. Mm-hmm. I was happy. Because uh, to then find out how much of a fan of the show he actually was and to to think that whether he'd planned it, been told to do it, or it would come very naturally at, this, at that moment, I don't care. It just, it just meant that he got the whole... Uh, the whole 50 years worth of, of canon and everything that had come before and made me very happy. Um, and I think that actually I, I was, although I start my first doctor in terms of my first exposure to it was John Pertwee mm-hmm. and I watched backward from there and then forward. So I loved Patrick Troughton and Tom Baker and John, John Pertwee. They were, they were my main ones and the maturity from kind of Patrick Troughton and John, I kind of thought maybe that's been a bit missing a bit in the in the more recent series. So the maturity that Peter Capaldi could bring to it, I think, is is really exciting. So I'm yeah, I'm super excited about that. Mm. Me, me too. I mean, I was um, I was actually introduced to it in the seventies with uh, I think Tom Baker was my first Doctor. <laughs> Yeah. But um, I, I wasn't really old enough when, when John Pertwee was doing it. Um, yeah. So I only really started getting into it and actually beginning to understand the plots when I was about, you know, six years old in 76. It was like midway through Tom Baker's run. Yeah. Um, but, but, but good episodes. I mean, t- yeah, Tom, Tom Baker's certainly a favourite Doctor and there's so many stories that I really enjoyed of his. So, 
Um, yeah, it came in at a good time. And, um, you know, I, I enjoyed John Pertwee's uh, episodes. And, um, I've, you know, I think how the ones have got on DVD, it's most, my DVD collection is most made off of uh, Pertwee Baker and Troughton. Yeah. Do you know what? I haven't got any Patrick Troughton in my in my remaining Doctor DVD collection, but the first ever episode I ever had was the VHS of Day of the Daleks, with the one that was titled The Day of the Daleks mm-hmm. in error. And I, I can't looking back, I can't believe how that got me into Doctor Who. <clears throat> it's one of the sort of the, the least exciting, least sort of impressive episodes with the Dalek army of three. Uh, so I, yeah, amazing really. But I got the new the new version with the uh, you know the revised special effects and stuff, and um, that took me right back to getting into it first time round. Mm-hmm. Another good one that uh, Trowan did that they kind of you know, they, they kind of animated it was a uh, invasion, which was a Cyberman adventure. Yeah, yeah, and that that was a pretty cool one. Um, kind of ahead of its time as well because you had this Bill Gates sort of character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, I. I, I kind of felt watching quite a lot of Doctor Who that it, there was some really nice moments and nice features like that, but uh, Dad never agreed with me, sadly. He thought it was terribly embarrassing that I even gave Doctor Who the time of day. <laughs> um, moving on to the now, uh, you've recently launched a Kickstarter campaign to hopefully finish um, a series of books that your late father started to write uh, called Gemini Force One. Yep. Um, what, what can you tell us about the project and uh, why, why have you chosen Kickstarter as a means of funding? Oh, well, um, books was a kind of new area for Dad and he'd I think he'd got into it because he'd been so upset uh, by the treatment that, it, that new Captain Scarlet had received um, by ITV. It had been split in half and pulled apart and put on a, a Saturday or Sunday morning kids show that just, it didn't fit with a, with a Jerry Anderson production, really. Mm. You know, I don't think they understood the, the family audience thing. So he felt that he'd had more, more creative control and more of a chance to showcase his, his work and his stories if we went down the books route. Um, so he was working on, on that book right up until probably six months before he died. Um, you know, to the last point where he actually could carry on working on a story because by that point the Alzheimer's was so bad he found it very difficult to follow the thread of a story and to write and to remember what had been said so it was the, the kind of final project but having said that there are other ones that he was working on before that um, that yeah, we'll carry on developing too um, but I wanted the book to see the light of day because it seemed a terrible shame to leave it on a hard drive or on a shelf gathering dust when I know that there's fans out there that will appreciate it and I like the story too it's a good story um, but we took the book to publishers and through probably February and March maybe even through to April this year we were doing the rounds telling them about it giving them the first couple of chapters and the feedback was really positive but then when it came to taking the book uh, sorry the, the uh, synopsis and chapters to their sales department the sales lot would say well what demographic is this for and they'd ask us and we'd say well it's a standard anderson thing of it being for a broad family audience and the vast majority of the publishers wanted us to kiddify it and i hate that term but they, they were obsessed with the fact that uh, kids don't get Anderson stuff anyway, which is not true. I get fan mail for Stingray and even Torchy from young kids. It's amazing. Um, but they, they, they said, you know, we're going to have to aim this because it's, sort of, uh, it's got the action-adventure feel. We're going to have to aim this at kind of the 9 to 11 bracket. And therefore, the characters need to be of that age, no more than, a t- than two or three years older, because children cannot connect 
uh, with uh, with characters older than themselves. And I, I, but this is, I mean, you laugh. I laughed. I thought this, you know, is this a joke? Uh, and my response to that was. Uh, have you watched Doctor Who? Do you know you do know that the Doctor's nine hundred plus years old? Do you, can you get that? Does that cause problems for you? And they didn't reply, unfortunately, uh, for, for in the most cases. But um, they were just asking us to transform this idea so much. Uh, it, it was no longer going to be an Anderson thing, and if it, you know, there were plenty of chances where I could have said, "Yeah, okay, fine, yeah, yeah, we'll change it, whatever you want," and we could have had a publishing deal. But it wouldn't have been Dad's story; it wouldn't have been his book. Um, so we talked to a few authors um, earlier on in the year. Angie Harris was the one that fitted best, and she agreed uh, that <clears throat> the only way to do this was to to do it independently, so that we could keep it as close as possible to Dad's original idea. And that's why we've gone down the Kickstarter route. And so far, the response has been amazing. I'm so pleased. I just hope the momentum carries on. I was, I was actually looking at the uh, page in here and noticed you've got um, about 13,000 so far. Yeah, uh, we're, what, eight days, seven days in, eight days in. Mm-hmm. Uh, the goal is 24,350. And, yeah, we're, we're almost at 13,500. So we're, we're over 55% funded after eight days, which makes me very, very happy. Um, I, I just hope that, you know, I, well, I'm certainly not less resting on my laurels and I hope that nobody else is about it because, you know, if, if we don't get the money, it, it looks bad for, for Dad's name and for sort of continuing fandom uh, over it. And it'll, it'll certainly make it more difficult for us to get new projects off the ground. But on the other hand, if this goes well and, uh, and if we're lucky enough to be overfunded by any amount, then I think that sends a pretty strong message to, uh, to publishers and anybody else involved in financing and distributing uh, printed material, TV shows, whatever, that the Jerry Anderson name still carries some weight when it comes to adventure and sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I found what you were saying about demographics really interesting because, um, you know, even even in television now, everything's aimed at specific, de- you know, de- demographic. I mean, example, uh, Battlestar Galactica, when they re- redid that, they, they basically aimed the, uh, the newer show a demographic of between 18 and 55 years old, whereas the, the original was kind of inclusive of everyone. Yeah, yeah, but at least that's 18 to 55, Ian. I mean, that's a big, broad demographic compared to what we were being asked to do, you know, yeah. six, 6 to 9 or 9 to 11. Children don't read books outside of those bands, and, uh, a sick, you know, uh, yeah, there's no way a, 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 you know, a teenager or an adult will read a kid's book. Um, and just I, we just couldn't get it through to them. That, that's that's uh, really weird because you know I've I've never heard of Harry Potter. I mean, the amount of adults <laughs> yes, and kids read that book. See, they'll say that was an accident. You can't design a book that way. And I think if if you're trying to design a book or any piece of entertainment uh, to appeal to a broader audience on purpose artificially, if you're trying to sort of expand things, then it, it's not going to work. But if it, if it naturally fits that way, then surely that's the way to present it. You don't want to butcher it in either direction. If you come up with a great concept for young kids, you don't want to try and mess around with it and make it appeal to everybody else. But if you've got a great family entertainment concept... And why why chop and change it and try and make a very narrow band of ages of kids happy when they can enjoy it as it is, as can you know their older brothers and sisters and their parents and their grandparents. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, you know, I, I kind of admire the, uh, the the fact that you're that 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 Jerry um, was was concerned about uh, you know as you know as you know children's literacy and and um, and stuff like that because you know I, I reckon that if Gemini Force came out when I was about eight or nine or ten, I would I would have grabbed it. I'm pretty sure you would have enjoyed it. I mean it. It sounds a bit naff. I've said it a couple of times now, and I worry that it sounds a bit naff. But when Dad and I spoke about books, and we were talking about on-demand entertainment in general, books are on-demand entertainment. You know, it's it's uh, the the iPlayer or the Netflix of centuries ago, and everyone seems to have forgotten that. And I, I'm not quite sure why. Uh, I mean, I'm not the the biggest reader of fiction, but if if something really grabs my attention as an enjoyable premise, then I can really get into it. And and from reading the first few chapters that MG had treated and, and slightly rewritten just to sort of make the style uh, solidified nicely, those first few chapters were great. There's just the pace was fantastic. Uh, the cliffhanger at the end of the, the final chapter that she treated was, was just amazing and it felt like I could have been watching an episode of Thunderbirds or Space Precinct or Terror Hawks or whatever because, because of the the way she'd managed to really get to the core of an Anderson idea and maintain that pace uh, in book form. It's just, yeah, I'm just really excited. I can't wait for, well, if we make the money, I can't wait for, for it to get out there and to see what the fan response is. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of hoping you make the money and you can get out there because I want to get myself a copy. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you pledge, if you pledge now, I think this is the slightly odd thing about Kickstarter because it's a bit of a, a a new concept for a lot of people. I think there's a bit of a feeling of this is maybe kind of a bit charity-like or something, but it's not charity. You're not pledging money to make something happen for no return. You're basically it's just kind of pre-order model. You're saying I have faith in, in this idea and I want a copy of this book when it comes out. And by pre-ordering a copy and getting involved, you you make it happen. Um, and I just I worry whether people sometimes think that maybe this is more of a charity thing. It's that odd space between charity and retail. You're kind of getting in, into something at the ground on the ground level uh, and making it happen and being involved. It's just a new way of uh, a new way of, of making things like this happen, isn't it? Yeah. You kind of become a distant, um, a very distant executive producer in a, in a way, as in, as in you sort of like uh, you, you you bring in a little bit of money to the project. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A mi- micro executive producing, I guess, is, uh, is the way it works. But it, you know, it, so far things are going well, and I, I, I have real faith now that the the Anderson fan base are going to get behind it and make it happen. Mm-hmm. Well, one of your stretch goals is to hopefully produce Gemini Force One as a, a television show. And I'm just wondering, um, have you given any thought to maybe approaching it as a web series, or even seeing if you can get some sort of deal with Netflix or a film to produce it? We have already started talking to a couple of uh, of entertainment providers, shall we say. Mm-hmm. I can't really go into much more detail than that, but I think the, the web series is something that's really difficult to do. Uh, finding the right level of funding and making it in the right way, in the right length, it's it's a difficult thing to do. Um, especially when you're, you know, you're on. If you if you're going purely on YouTube or something like that, then you've got such a huge amount of competition. Uh, it, it makes it very difficult. But certainly, seeing as we're making use of new technology and new and new ways of working in terms of Kickstarter, there's absolutely no reason why we couldn't potentially be working with somebody like Netflix and uh, working maybe to the House of Cards model, something like that. But 
it's a long way off yet. We're, we're still we're still not even got the book out yet here, but we're mm. thinking ahead for sure. Well, you know, I can I can understand where you're coming from with web series because I uh, I was an executive producer in one that we that came out last year called Reang It on Demand, and um, we produced that on probably about uh, the equivalent of a thousand pounds. It was an American production. Yeah. Um, I got involved because the the writer and creator is a good friend of mine, and uh, I saw I got the executive producer Monica because I did a lot of publicity and um, helped get the word out. Mm. And, you know, it's won a few awards and whatnot um, in, 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 in web series circles and stuff like that, but unfortunately it's not made any money. <laughs> so. Yeah, see, that's the problem. And, it, and I, I, I don't want to be mercenary about it for a second, and hopefully you can see I haven't been mercenary about it because we could have, you know, got a publishing deal months ago if we messed around with the format. But these things have got, if they're going to carry on, they've got to make, make money, I suppose, because people won't plough money into them forever. And I'm sure that, you know, the people who are being kind enough to get behind GF1 via Kickstarter will want to see it become a success. They won't want it to be a, a one-trick pony and disappear. This is supposed to be a, a series of books. Um, and if we can, we can do a great job on the first one and hopefully make a commercial success of it without selling our souls then, uh, yeah, we'll be able to keep things rolling. But, yeah, I sympathise with the difficulties there. Mm. Well, we, we, we were, um, we're still going to do season two, <laughs> even yeah, though we've not made any money. We, we, you know, basically, we're, gonna, we, we're trying to um, put together a, a Kickstarter campaign and come up with ideas uh, that are inclusive for people because it has got a bit of a fan base. It's, you know, it's just um, that, you know, we did it through one, one of the web series on, like, channel things, and they pay so much per click on advertising and stuff like that, it's not, you know, it's not really enough to sort of like fund the thing. So yeah, we're... it makes it difficult, doesn't it? But I, I have faith that this kind of model can work and the stuff you're talking about because there, some some friends of mine have done an audio series uh, called Minister, The Minister of Chance. I know those guys, yeah. Yeah, so Dan and Co have done an amazing job getting all those uh, those audio episodes done and now they're going to going on to fund the film and they're doing really well with that, but they're doing it off Kickstarter, they're doing it off their own backs. Um, and that really gives me faith that fans voting with their feet and with their wallets, if that's what's necessary, can make things happen like this. So, mm-hmm. uh, earlier in the year, it was actually reported that ITV had commissioned a new series of Thunderbirds, which would be done with CGI. Um, I'm just mm-hmm. wondering if you're at all in the loop on that project. Uh, we're distantly in the loop, Ian, but we're not involved in any way, really. Um, well, I say really, we're not involved in any way, end of story. Um, I, tr- I try to keep tabs on things like this, but, you know, it, <clears throat> I could spend a lot of time uh, keeping my my ear to the ground and trying to sort of nose in on various projects that are happening in relation to Dad's old series. Um, but we have no control, no interest in it, in them financial or otherwise. Um, so I think, I mean, that's one of the things that Dad found really upsetting and really stressful is, you know, he... he he made all these series. Uh, he was the, the creative force behind them that brought you know fantastic teams together. And it, there's absolutely no way that, that they would have happened without those amazing teams. But it was him that was taking the risk and the, the guy that was behind it all. And then to see those properties disappear from his control um, caused him a huge amount of distress. And it's not something that I want to perpetuate. You know, th- those shows are all fantastic, and I'm sure. Uh, that anyone who, who does new stuff with them will want to, to make the very best of them. But, um, yeah, I'm trying to just keep focused on perpetuating the legacy in the best way possible with the new material rather mm-hmm. than, uh, uh, yeah, sort of being, being a busybody about the, the current stuff. But uh, I'm sure we'll hear bits and pieces in due course, and I, I hope that the new one is done respectfully and 
you know, takes on board all the values of the original that made it so successful. I just hope it's better than that movie. <laughs> oh, don't even mention the bloody movie. Uh, you know, that, it's, obviously I was immensely proud of Dad for for many, many things, you know, all the all the shows and that kind of stuff. Just an amazing body of work to be so prolific and so successful. But probably the two other things that I, that, that I was absolutely most proud of him for, one was for the way he dealt with his Alzheimer's and, and did all the charity work and, uh, you know, raised awareness and that kind of stuff. That's certainly number one. But the number two is turning down vast amounts of money offered by Universal to, uh, to give that crap movie praise. Um, he, you know, that, that takes real balls to, to stick mm-hmm. by your convictions and turn down enormous amounts of money. Uh, and, yeah, it made me very, very proud of him to, to do that. Yeah, well, you know, he's got a definite thumbs up for that from me. Yeah, um, And for raising awareness on, on, on Alzheimer's because it's, um, it's actually, um, you know, um, it's, actually, it's actually the illness of our generation. It's, so, it's something that, um, you know, I think it's right up there with cancer. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's, I mean, it, it affects... Uh, well, potentially more people directly now because the, the amount of time we're living. Half of half of the people, half of anybody who lives over eighty now, fifty percent of those that live over eighty are going to get Alzheimer's. So mm-hmm. that's pretty scary. Uh, bearing in mind that the average uh, average lifespan is is rapidly heading towards that for men. I think is already there for women. So. Yeah, very scary. So, yeah, very proud of the way he helped raise awareness for that and all that money, too. Well, you know, one, one final thing is what, what, one of the uh, things I've noticed about uh, your your your, um, your spiel on um, Gemini Force One and <clears throat> your description is, you know, I'm just wondering how important was it for Jerry and, and you, of course, to uh, tell a tale uh, based around rescue rather than some sort of aggressive uh, military activity? Yeah. I think something that is really central to the core of pretty much every Anderson show is good triumphant, triumphing over evil or misfortune. So you've got good triumph, triumphing over misfortune in Thunderbirds and you've got uh, good triumphing over evil in uh, Captain Scarlet or Space Precinct or Terrorhawks, whatever. Um, there, there were no shows where there was aggression for aggression's sake, you know, and the, the, uh, none of the shows really showed a truly dystopian future. There was nothing that dark or grim. Um, and Dad was obsessed with current affairs and the news and that kind of stuff. And, and the news uh, and the way the world was changing was often the inspiration for shows. So the, the, uh, the German mining rescue um, that inspired Thunderbirds and um, <clears throat> Man Landing on the Moon and Transplants inspired UFO. And in this case, I think the the continuing battle to try and uh, you know, triumph over potential environmental disaster, uh, and to, to sort of the power of the people, I suppose, to triumph over terrorist threats, which you know have become so ever present now. Those were the the inspiration for for, for Gemini Force One, um, and so it only seems fitting that Gemini Force One will be about you know preventing environmental disaster uh, and. Uh, and preventing a possible, I suppose, terrorist attacks too, and uh, uh, and saving people from from situations related to those. So it, it's just a natural fit. I can't really see it being any other way, to be quite honest. Mm-hmm. I mean, one one of the things in in recent years that's happened, uh, as far as current affairs is concerned, is uh, the Chilean miners. Remember when that yes. was uh, all happening? I thought, boy, wouldn't that make a great episode of Thunderbirds? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's pretty close to the original inspiration for it in the first place. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so it's kind of history repeating itself to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and finally, before I before I go, um, do, you, do you actually have a favourite series from, from your father's back catalogue? Um, uh, I mean, I, I, if I wanted to please the fans, I'd probably say, oh, it has to be Thunderbirds. Or, uh, I, I did enjoy Thunderbirds, I really did. And I, uh, I also loved Stingray and Scarlet. But uh, I'm afraid to to say Ian, that my favourite series was Terrorhawks, and I think that was just because I don't know. I had so many Terrorhawks videos when I was a kid because it wasn't that long after it had been made that I watched it a lot, and I just really enjoyed it. And it, it kind of it entertained me at different levels as I was growing up. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I really got into it, and I know that uh, there are a lot of Anderson fans that do not like Terrorhawks, but equally there are lots that do. So I'm sure those that do will be happy to hear that. Well, like I said, I'm kind of like in the middle of it. Middle yeah. on it. Um, I think in in a lot of ways, you, you like the thing you're first exposed to. Exactly, it's Terrorhawks and Doctor Who for me. Yeah. <laughs> and and for me as a kid, the first things I were exposed to of um, of your fathers were Thunderbirds and and Stingray. Mm. But I like Stingray over Thunderbirds because it wasn't on as much. <laughs> Yeah. I see scarcity made it more exciting, yeah. did it? And, and they also like the, uh, I also like the, uh, the, the notion of a, of a submarine, a metal submarine that was shaped like a fish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the terror fish are pretty cool, I have to, I have to admit, but uh, the aquafibians freak me out ever so slightly. Mm. And, 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 and I, um, I was, I, there's an episode where uh, Troy and Phones, uh, you know, hijack a terror fish and, and, and go down to Titan's lair, and they manage to get through. Uh, security by doing an impression of an aquafibian by blowing water into a glass and <laughs> speaking funny. And I always thought, hang on, it, like you can't even tell what they're saying. They, do they know the aquafibian language? I, I, I just could never quite, quite get it. So, uh, yeah, but I wish I could do an aquafibian impression because they do sound a bit odd. Yeah, I mean, um, and and also, uh, I think, uh, think, I think, Stingray was the only one that had the uh, had had the sexy mermaid swimming across the water and the, and the theme song at the end. Yeah, and you do know she was a puppet, right? Um, yeah, well, you know, being a geek, it's kind of hard to distinguish. I'm still trying to get over my crush of Lara Croft in the video games. Oh, wow. Okay, fair enough. Nah, I'm joking. There's I'm no joking. help here, <laughs> Okay, well, Jamie, it's been absolutely great speaking to you. Likewise, Ian. Thank you very and, much indeed. Um, it's been, it's been, been great to have you on. And, um, you know, hopefully, um, you know, some sometime next year or sometime later this year, we can have you on again and uh, you can talk about the books coming out. That would be great. That would be great. And there is more stuff on the way too. You know, we're, I'm I'm keeping super busy. It's not I'm not just sat at home clicking refresh on the Kickstarter campaign. Although I do spend quite a lot of time doing that. There's other stuff too, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm looking forward to being able to talk about that as well. Cool. Well, it'd be great to have you on again. It's been it's been really nice. Uh, you know, having the opportunity to speak to you. Likewise. Well, thank you very much for having me on. Hi there, this is Robert Leeshock from Gene Roddenberry's Earth Final Conflict, better known as Liam Kincaid, and you are listening to SFP Now. The fate of humanity now relies on those who dare challenge the future of Earth.
radioactive robot lizard, but with horn-rimmed glasses and a pocket protector. <laughs> That's nerdy. We're on the rampage, laying waste to the geek landscape. We'll talk movies, TV, comics, toys, video games. And sometimes we talk turkey. Don't you mean chicken? <laughs> That's right. So check us out at Megapodzilla.com. We're also available on iTunes and the Zoom Marketplace. Aw, yeah. And that about wraps things up for this week. Um, next week we've got another show coming at you uh, with an interview with uh, Ethan Flower, um, the actor Ethan Flower, who's going to be talking about um, a new film that he's in, which is due out in November, called Dragon Day. So keep your ears, ears glued for that one, and don't forget to check out all the other great shows here at uh, www.scifipulseradio. Um, we've got Genretainment, which you know pops up every Tuesday, and uh, Marts and Junior have been doing some great stuff on that of late. Um, and of course, um, SFP now uh, every uh, every Friday. And what we're hoping to do in the future is hoping to do a, a once monthly comic show, um, which will sort of like um, will air on the same day as SFP. It'll probably mean that we just do three SFP now shows per month and do this uh, one comic show per month. Um, so I'll give you a little bit, a little bit extra, um, and that will, you know, most likely, hopefully, be myself and Patrick, who's just been on this episode. So bye for now, and we'll catch you next week. We offer the world order. <laughs>